Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and I appreciate you spending some time with us today. If this is your first time listening to the show, it's for reps and sales leaders who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate when it takes hundreds of emails to get someone's attention or to land a meeting with someone. So if you ever felt like it took a lot of emails and it was a lot of work to get very few responses, you're definitely in the right place. Today is part of our leader series, and we're talking uh, for a second time to Kayla Citrin Thaler, and we're going to talk about onboarding and leading an SDR team. Let's get to it. Super excited to have guests on for a second time, especially when they've been promoted. So Kayla was a BDR at Domino Data Labs when we talked to her last, and now she is a team lead slash manager, and she's leading a team of five, six SDRs. I think they're about to onboard a couple more. And one of the things that you're going to take away from this episode that I just loved about how she goes about everything is, one, how she makes herself really accessible. She's very, very good at communicating with her team in a way where they feel very comfortable asking her for feedback. I work with a lot of sales managers and sales teams where the reps don't really feel comfortable leaning on the sales manager because they aren't really accessible enough. So they're afraid to ask for feedback, in other words. She does some really good things there to make herself accessible and to scale her coaching. Number two, the big thing that we talk about is onboarding process that she uses to get reps like fully ramped in like less than a month. It's really, really crazy. Her team is just killing it right now. I think they're hitting 126% of quota, but it's this kind of five-part process to like, how do we help them understand the space, understand how people buy solutions like ours? How do we help them understand the personas, the case studies, the tactical stuff, the feature matrix? So what features align with what problems we're solving? There's just a six-part onboarding system she goes through that's like really, really good for like ongoing training too. It's really funny because a lot of times when I come in to work with a company, I feel like I'm almost doing like an onboarding 2.0. You know, it's kind of like a relaunch of the onboarding because these are a lot of the same things that I help people with is like getting back to the basics. If you're a sales leader or you lead other sales leaders, you're definitely going to like this episode. And especially if you're, you're thinking about becoming a leader of any kind, especially a manager that's that next step for you're really going to dig this one so without further ado let's get to the interview with kayla so uh i'm super excited to talk to you again because i was looking it's been since june since we had you on the podcast that was like kind of the last time we talked too so there's kind of a lot been going on but that might be a good place to start what's been going on with you like what's <laughs> what's changed since june which feels like three years ago <laughs> yeah, so i moved to denver I would say that's a big change. And yeah. I would say, thankfully, because of everything that's happened this past year, I got to move. I would also say that I recently moved into a BDR team lead role, aka managing the BDR team at Domino. Last time we were talking, I was just an individual contributor. So I would say those are the two biggest changes in my life since we talked. Yeah, and uh, we were just talking about Denver before we hit record, but what's your favorite part so far of living in Denver? Because that's, that's definitely a place that a lot of people are moving to right now. I'd say I learned to ski. Okay. If you don't like the outdoors, do not move to Denver. And I would say hiking also. Like everything outdoorsy is really, really beautiful and really accessible here. Yeah. And I'm hopefully going to go do some camping. I don't think of myself as a very outdoorsy person, but I really enjoy outdoors activities. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's uh, definitely the place. It's one of my favorite places. And it's weird. Like when you get a vibe from an entire city of that size, where it's like pretty much like the vibe there is like people are driving Subarus and like cars <laughs> like that, where they like, they like spending time outside, you know, which yeah. is cool. <laughs> but uh, what's been the most like with your new role, is there anything that like that you didn't expect that sort of happened uh, maybe in your first couple of months? Is there anything that was kind of unexpected about like what it would be like? Because a lot of people listening to this have either made that transition or are going to soon or maybe in the middle of it, getting into kind of a leadership role where they've been kind of doing the thing, you know, for a while. Anything unexpected for you? I wouldn't say unexpected. I would say it puts... I guess a spotlight on your weaknesses. Like one of my weaknesses mm. is looking at numbers. Okay. But I think it's just an opportunity to create improvement and processes around onboarding, around coaching, and really around leading the team. I know sometimes people have fears when they're going to be an indiv- individual contributor and then they move into that management role. And I think it's good to kind of define that. But also, the most important thing I think is being accessible to your team. So when I'm with my team, I say, Hey, if you need anything, text me, Slack me, whatever you need. Or I also put a hour or half an hour on each of my team's calendar per day. They can use it if they want, or they can say, Hey, Kayla, I don't need you. But because we're remote, it's really allowing them to have that human to human contact and that support that they need rather than going a whole week. And the only really contact they have is that team meeting. So I would say mm-hmm. if you are a new manager or even an old manager and you're working in this remote world, make sure to set up time at least once or twice a week on your team's calendar. And it's not to say, hey, where are you at? It's to say, what do you need help with? And so you're sitting down, you're either doing cold calling together, you're helping them with personalized messaging, you're helping them with video, you're really helping them with whatever they need. It's their time to use or to lose. Yeah, I want to talk about that more because, and by the way, I think most people will kill for a half hour one-on-one with their manager every week. Yeah. Like once a week, let alone like once a day. (laughs) What's really interesting is that you know, the way I kind of came up as a manager, I had really good training at the company that I came up in and they had really good leadership training too. And it was like an expectation that you spend over half your time as a manager coaching your people and like rubbing shoulders with them. And I can tell like for you, and you mentioned this before we hit record where it's like, hey, we can do stuff together. And it's called like, I, you're, you're willing to rub shoulders with people, which I think is really, really big because then you don't lose touch, you know, with what it's like to prospect, right? Which I think is important. But you mentioned something around, weaknesses, which I wanted to dig into. You said your uh, weakness around numbers. Were there any other kind of things that you've noticed about yourself getting into a leadership role that were like weaknesses or strengths that you didn't really have to think about as an individual contributor? So I think one of my fears, and this was just a personal fear, is that I would be a really strong contributor and I've always wanted to be a manager, but who knows if I'd actually deliver on that. And I think that was my biggest fear around transitioning into the role I think that one of my strengths is creating a really good onboarding program around being accessible. So if someone has a question and they Slack me and for example, one of my team members today said, Hey, Kayla, I have a question on how to create an op. And I said, great. 
I opened a zoom link or whatever you do through Slack and we got on a call for five minutes and then signed off. And so some of my day is also being available for my team when they have those questions. I want to get on a call or they say, Hey, when we're running this campaign, what's the process for follow-up? And so I'll create a video for all of them. And I think video is very easy to digest. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of video. (laughs) So when there's a question about, hey, how do we run this cadence or how do we run this play? A lot of times it's me creating a video and saying, hey, here's the instructions on how we're going to do this. And sometimes I'm talking out loud, like I'll edit something on the fly, but at least they can see the process. I think my strength is really being accessible and letting them know that I'm on their side to support them. And if they have a question or there's something, I say, bug me, continue to bug me. I want you to bug me until I get you an answer. And it may not be the answer you want, But at the end of the day, I will get you an answer and either we can move on or we can leave it and go back to it. Yeah. Uh, There's something that you mentioned there I think is like it would be good to dig into around like uh, you're very approachable, right? Like the very first time I talked to you, I noticed that, right? It's very easy to talk to you. (laughs) And I think that's such a critical thing that for people that don't have that with their team, where their team doesn't feel comfortable approaching them, it's almost like this skill that they have to develop that they've never really even thought about before. Is there anything or any advice you might share or anything you found that's worked for you to make your team feel like they can approach you outside of like, hey, let me know what you need kind of thing. Is there anything that you do to make it like safe to ask you for feedback? Because there's also like an accountability element that I'm sure you bring into the equation too, where it's not always like rainbows and butterflies every time every time they talk to you. <laughs> well, to be fair, my team is pacing really well and they already hit their number. Yeah. But <laughs> what I would say is put time on your team's calendar mm-hmm. to give them the time to work on whatever they want. And I think that's the thing is a lot of times managers are very busy and they say, hey, put time on my calendar. And I take the responsibility to go out and put mm-hmm. time on my team's calendar every single day. I know when you have a team that's probably larger than seven, it's really hard to do that, to give them usually a half an hour per day. A lot of times your team won't even use that. I think the a really important thing is not having higher up leadership in all of your meetings, letting your team know if there's a meeting that doesn't serve them, they shouldn't be on that meeting. They can hop off. Letting them know that you're on their side Something I do is I, during our team meetings, I say, hey, this is a safe space. And does anyone have anything they want to bring up? Anything they want to complain about? Anything that you're struggling with? And so something that's also really important I tell my team is be your best cheerleader. And while I will share wins that I've seen, if you've had success in an op or getting a meeting, share it in the sales channel on Slack. And you were being your best cheerleader. And if a team member doesn't feel comfortable, I'll do that. I'll give them the shout out of what they've done. And that gives transparency also into leadership, into the broader team of what they're doing. And I think that's something if you are a BDR, when you're saying success, share it. That's how I've really made a name for myself is when I used to record videos, I wanted to include dogs when I was at the looker office. And so I would slag the whole office. I got in trouble for it, but I would do it. And people would be like, hey, do you need a dog? And it got people talking. So my biggest advice for BDRs, be your best cheerleader. And my biggest advice for BDR managers, or one of my pieces of advice is be a cheerleader for your team members. Show if they have successes, celebrate those successes and make sure you're showing that to the broader team so that it's not, it doesn't get to the end of the quarter. Even if someone hasn't hit, at least you've celebrated some of their successes. 
That's so awesome. Like there's a couple of things I want to highlight in there that this like be your best cheerleader is something that I didn't learn for like a really long time until my boss was like, you know, Jason, when you don't share the stuff that you're doing, you just interact with me. Like, what do you think all the other people in the company think about what we're doing in our department together, you know? And I'd always been this kind of like my dad kind of raised me to be humble, right? Like don't brag about yourself kind of thing. And I think a lot of people are really hesitant to like share stuff like that. I think that's such great advice. And it's like, you're teaching your reps how to advocate for themselves and build a personal brand within their company, which is how you get promoted. It's like when people think about you, that's a really cool thing that you're doing. The other thing too, that's interesting is, and it's kind of funny because I'll do this sometimes with companies where depending on the engagement, I'll offer up times where people can do one-on-ones with me. And like maybe half the people will schedule and I'll talk to the manager and be like, well, hey, dude, like I'm offering up this time that you guys are paying for. Like, I don't have to do it. But the people that are struggling the most are not the ones booking meetings with me. And oftentimes that conversation is like, oh, well, you know, they need to be accountable for that. When what I'm hearing from you, I actually want to do a better job of with the manager. Like, well, hey, like you need to proactively set this up for them and like look out for them, like make it happen for them. I love that. It's like, dude, you're going to spend time with me whether you like it or not. (laughs) And the team I read on LinkedIn is like they're crushing quota by 132%. So it's like this stuff is working really well. And like having that time available, that FaceTime, I think is super cool. But uh, is there anything else around, like you mentioned, like creating this like safe space in the team meeting? Can you talk a little bit more about how often do you meet with the team as a group? And like, what do you try to cover in those uh, team calls? So I meet with the team once a week and I've kind of dropped the ball, but what it should be in the structure is here's what's going on. Everyone goes around the room and you start with the person who has been there for the longest amount of time. And what you do is you say, Hey, what are your two focuses for this week? What are two things you want to get accomplished? And if someone says, I want to book an op, they have to tell you how they're going to book that op or how they're going to book those op rather than just saying, I'm going to book an op. Something that I've been wanting to work on, which we always run out of time and I should probably set more time, is when someone hits quota or even halfway through the quarter, whoever is pacing the highest, them going through their ops and sharing what worked for each of those ops. And so that's something I'm actually trying to push more is as someone books a meeting, and I know it's that humble thing, right? Like, hey, I don't want to brag. But if you share your success, the team as a whole will be more successful and you're creating more transparency for yourself in the organization. So what I would really focus on if you're structuring a team meeting is people saying, hey, these are the two things that I'm going to work on this week and here's how I'm going to achieve them. I would also add in, was there anything that you struggled with last week? Because I think it's a really good place to share ideas. So maybe someone said, yeah, I sent out 50 videos and... I didn't get a single response. And then the question is, okay, maybe you could share a video with the team and we can share feedback. Obviously it has to be a safe space for people to share that feedback. But I think it's so important just giving people the time. The team only meets once a week. What I want to do actually more is more team bonding. So we did a team bonding employee appreciation, I think last week and we played categories and that was really fun. But I meet with, I have time on every team member's calendar every day for them to use or not. So really they're getting that interaction that they've missed by not being in the office. I love that. The focuses, the how, the struggles. And you mentioned like reviewing the opportunities. I think that's really big. I push that a lot too with uh, companies because a deal review is pretty common. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's dissect this deal and like how it was closed. And I noticed a lot of BDR, SDR teams don't dissect how they got opportunities. Like, hey, let's look at this. 
who did you talk to throughout it? Like, what were the emails that led to this? When you got the referral to so-and-so, how did you email them? What was in that email, you know? So it sounds like you're doing a lot to kind of dissect like success and and so that people kind of see a blueprint of like what's working. Exactly. And that's what I, I've started telling my team is every single opportunity, even if you're just sharing it in the BDR Slack channel, share it and share how you got it because that's only going to help everyone else. I encourage them to share, share it in the sales channel because that creates transparency for them and helps them be their own cheerleader. But if they don't feel comfortable, they can always share it with me and I'll give them a shout out as their manager. There's no loss in that. It's not, I guess, self-promotion and people have the fear of self-promotion. So what I would say is just be your best cheerleader and be the best cheerleader of your team. Yeah, I love that. Is there anything speaking of Slack? Because I know Slack can get like super out of control. <laughs> but how do you utilize uh, Slack with your team? It sounds like you there's some channels and stuff that you have. How do you recommend setting up Slack and how do you use it? So we have our main BDR channel, which only has the BDRs in it. I've tried to do some other channels and it can get really noisy. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to pin important stuff. Let's say you have a script that everyone uses, pin that. But I've not seen the best results for a lot of separate channels. I would say the other channel that we have that works really well is BDRs and Demand Gen because we try to work really close with Demand Gen. So I would say that's the most two most important channels and then the sales channel, but the BDR channel is really the core. So you try to make it as easy as possible for them to just share what they need. And one other thing that you mentioned... You didn't say it exactly like this, but essentially what you're doing is like scaling your coaching. So when you help someone one-on-one with something, like when you record a video of that or create a video around a process and then share it, like more than just that one rep gets to benefit from it. Can you share a little bit more about like maybe kind of the thinking behind that and how even though you make yourself available a lot to individuals, you still think about how that applies, it sounds like, to like the rest of the team. Yeah. Is there any insight you can share there? Yeah, so I think it, and it can apply even to the broader team, to our AEs also. So for example, if someone books a meeting through a call, what does that call script sound like, right? Basically, when someone sees something that works, exactly what you said about it's scalable because you're not having to coach every team member on that exact thing. And there's things that I may not have thought of, right? Like today we had a BDR that booked a meeting And she was using a separate script that I had shared with the team and it worked. And so I said, hey, great. So I think it also can bring up concepts if someone's trying something new. I mean, video is once you have it down and the way I train my team, it's pretty much the same. But it could say, hey, you know what? I was doing research on this person. I recorded this video on this article and they replied versus, hey, I was just on their LinkedIn or I talked about this specific thing and it resonated and they booked time. So I think it's about really that scalability and like being available to your team, but also them sharing what works because then it makes your life way easier. I think managers may think, oh, well, it's going to make my life harder if I'm on all these calls or I'm on all these, like helping my team members. But you have to show, I think one of the worst things you can do as a BDR leader is be removed. So not showing that you'll get in the weeds and make some cold calls, not showing that you'll get in the weeds and make some videos, not really getting in the weeds. So an example is one of my team members, Lauren, she wanted to work on videos. And I said, great. I said, let's go on the fly, bring up a few people's profiles who you want to book meetings with. I'll record it and then I'll send it to you. And she kind of can listen to that and base her videos off of that. But it's me not being afraid to do the activity that she's doing. 
And when it comes down to it, it's pretty basic activities. It's videos, calling, and email. And LinkedIn, I guess, is another one. But once you have those down, if you are a manager who doesn't know how to do those things, teach yourself how to do those things or reach out to someone in the SDR management community because you need to lead by example. Yeah, that's so important. I've interacted with, believe it or not, like SDR managers that like when I bring up the topic of cold calling, they're like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really know how to do that. I, my team is supposed to do it. You know, but I don't really know how. And it's like, you don't need to be the best person on your team at that thing, but you need to know how to do it. I, I mean, like, they'd be like having a basketball coach that didn't know how to dribble a basketball. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be Michael Jordan, but shit, you know, like you need to be able to like do the job. So I think that's super important. Like you're thinking scale, you're thinking about how can this help other people? And that has a whole like effect on the culture, I would imagine, too, where it's a culture of people sharing their wins, wanting to help other people. And it's cross departments. So like you're interacting with demand gen, with sales, and it like kind of breaks down all of those kind of silos that a lot of people complain about these days. Exactly. And I think part of that also is I want my team to show upper management what they're doing and the wins they're having. It's so hard when you get to the end of the quarter and let's say you haven't hit and you haven't shared anything, they don't know who you are. So like, it's so important as a longer play to share what's working and share those wins, especially I understand at a company of 10, they'll see everything that's coming through the door. When you're in a company that has a hundred or more people, you have to be your best advocate. There's no way around it. And so if you're not doing that as a BDR, I'll say this time and time again, as BDR, if you are not sharing your wins, start sharing them. As a BDR leader, make sure that your team feels comfortable to share their wins. And if they don't, share them for them, have a place, create transparency. And you're also showing great things for your team because you're showing, look at the coaching I'm doing, look at these amazing yeah. things that these people are doing. It is less about us as a manager, but really about, or team lead, whatever you want to call it, but more about the team and their success. And they want to feel supported. And especially in this remote world, they need to be supportive because it's so easy to just feel alone when you've had one call with one person in your company in the past week. Yeah. Oh, that's so big. So you've mentioned onboarding a couple of times, and I know that you're pretty passionate about this topic. So how do you approach, how do you think about onboarding all of that good stuff? So credit to Gary. <laughs> I think I pronounced his name right. Did you pronounce his name correctly? Uh, I think so. Um, but he gave me the idea of doing self-led exercises and then doing kind of a powwow. Okay. It is very hands-on. For our onboarding, it's about a week and a half. And I'm doing that really hands-on. But it's paying off because the team members who have been onboarded this way are absolutely crushing it straight out the gate. So basically what it looks like is there's a video. So for example, our founder has a keynote speech and I'm also showing that I watched all this content and read all this content because I'm making up quizzes for all of these. So it's not just saying, hey, go do this work. This is important, but I haven't done the work. There's actually a worksheet that goes with each piece of content. So what that really is structured in is understanding the space and also understanding the competitors understanding the personas, and then understanding the tactical piece. So what that really looks like is in Domino, understanding data science, our CEO's keynote speech, 
Then it goes into like a meld versus buy because that's one of our biggest competitors, our competitors. Then it goes into personas. So we have data science leaders, IT leaders, data scientists. And then it goes into the tactical stuff of, hey, let's do practice cold calls. Hey, watch this webinar that I did on video and then do a worksheet on video or, hey, here's calls that I've done. Critique these calls. What did you like? What would you have done better? And so I think you need to really break it down as understanding the space, understanding the competitors or wins and losses, whatever. Understanding personas. One piece I actually missed out is understanding case studies. So understanding like how actual customers are using it, the business value, and then really the tactical pieces. And so if you break your onboarding down in those pieces, your team members will be successful. It's on you to help them tie the concepts back together. So in a worksheet we have, which could be for around a persona of data science leaders, it could say, hey, one of the top priorities or what are the top priorities of data science leaders? One of them could be letting their data scientists try new tools. And I say, this isn't in the worksheet, but I, when we're talking about it, I say, how does Domino help with that? And so it helps people connect the dots. And those light bulbs are actually some of the most amazing moments because you see people actually understanding concepts and especially with a super, super technical product, the fact that someone kind of understands what our product does in a week and a half is super impressive. Yeah. I love this. The, uh, understanding the space, the competitors, personas, the tactics, the case studies, like there's nothing in here about like, oh, you need to understand like all the technical parts of how the product works, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's typically onboarding. And this is kind of just a dead horse has been beaten, you know, in terms of sales content there, where it's like so much of the onboarding content is focused on like me, 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 and like what our company does. So understanding the space, if we kind of break this down, is the goal there to kind of give them like, hey, here's the 10,000 foot view of like, if we were using Airbnb as an example, before Airbnb existed, it would be the 10,000 foot view of like, hey, when you travel, normally you have to stay in a hotel. Why is that bad? Yeah, It's really expensive. If you want to stay downtown and experience the city, that becomes very expensive. That's a problem. Here's a way that we can kind of like basically disrupt that. Is that the goal is like, hey, let's just get the 10,000 foot view so you can talk and sound like you know a little bit about what's going on in this industry when you get someone technical on the phone. Yes, exactly. That's, I mean, it's a lot more technical with a technical product, <laughs> but yeah. yes, it's understanding, hey, what does the space look like? Here's a like, quick intro to what do people care about? Like even with us, what is data science, right? Or what is the, yeah, really that 10,000 foot view. I would say something I actually missed is create a feature matrix. And so shout out Ned. Yeah. But yeah, Ned the man. Yeah, he shared this on the yeah. podcast too. But if you know what pain, and this I guess goes a little bit later down the line in the sales cycle, but if you understand the pain that your prospect is struggling with, you understand the feature that aligns with that, you can be a way more knowledgeable. I guess, person or salesperson, because you're not trying to sell them on everything. You're trying to understand their pain and kind of hone in on that. And if someone doesn't need to see your whole product, they don't need to hear about your whole product. They just need to know how you can solve their pain. And they're probably not struggling with every single pain that your product solves. They're probably really struggling with one main pain. So that's one thing that I missed is like having a feature pain matrix. Yeah, I love that. And it'll essentially be able to like a rep could look at a table and it'll be like, hey, for this persona, 
here's a typical problem they might have. Here's a feature that aligns with that. Here's like maybe a case study you could share that would be relevant to that. Yeah, that's really powerful. So when you say personas, because everyone's got a different kind of way that they look at personas. I'm a big fan of marketing. Yeah, I do a lot of it. I've, I've been a, a marketer too, but marketing personas tend to be really kind of fluffy. Oh, Kayla, she wakes up at uh, seven in the morning. She drinks a latte and then uh, she gets straight to work and she does CrossFit. You know, it's like, it's like a bunch of meaningless stuff that doesn't really help you with prospecting. If someone has a good persona together, what are you testing the rep on to make sure that they understand about the persona? So it's really about their priorities, their day to day. An example could be in our data scientist worksheet. It's how is a data scientist day broken up? Or what is this data scientist? What do they care about? And it's actual YouTube videos of actual data scientists. It's not just a marketing worksheet that says, we think they care about this and they probably care about this. It's actual videos, which I found on the internet, which shouldn't be hard in any of our industries to find videos about the day-to-day, what people care about. A lot of companies will have internal docs also where it said, hey, this is what we think that this persona cares about. And if most companies will have it down pretty well, but they'll be more feature oriented. And I try to stay away from feature orientation and try to more stay away of like, what is the pain and what do they actually care about? Yeah, I love that. And I love that you're actually finding resources online too for them to talk about the day-to-day because I just don't know how you could send a cold email or record a video or make a cold call if you didn't have some idea of like, this person's priorities are probably going to be one of these three things. And here are some common problems that might get in the way of those sort of generically speaking, and at least be able to, you know, kind of start a conversation that way. The last thing I want to dig into you with on this is case studies. And the reason why is it seems really obvious, like a lot of companies have case studies, but I can't tell you, you know, how many reps I've talked to where I'm like, hey, tell me a story about one of the case studies. And it just like crickets, <laughs> like nothing, you know, and most companies have pretty good case studies, actually. Like there's usually language in there that I'm like, you could like copy that sentence and throw it into cold email. That's how good it is, you know? So like with case studies, again, like from the onboarding perspective, what are you kind of testing the rep for in terms of their understanding of the case studies? What are they trying to get from that? So usually I try to break it down by industry. So like our four main industries would be health and life sciences, uh, FinServe. So I try to get a case study in each. And then I really try to say, what was their previous state and how has our company helped them? You don't have to get into all the ins and outs. And if there is something that has actual business value, for example, I think in our Lockheed case study, and I could be wrong, I could have gotten this off a of deck, but it says Lockheed saves over $4 million a year because they've been able to reduce the amount of DevOps engineers supporting data science from 24 to one money. Like you're showing someone actual business value. And I think that's also something that's your responsibility as a leader is you should have scripts. People shouldn't be putting in the guesswork. So for videos, we have a script and it says, hey, name, the reason for my video is blank. So whatever research my BDR found. Generally, when I talk to other insert personas, they're they're having frustrations around blank, blank, and blank. There's literal no guesswork because it's in the script. And then it says, this is the reason why blank uses domino to whatever it is. There's no guesswork in that either, but you're using a related company. 
you could always use a specific example and you could say, actually, more specifically, Lockheed Martin say that and then go into a soft CTA. Would you be interested in learning more? Would it be worthwhile to have a deeper conversation? So as a leader, build out scripts for your team and stop making them guess. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, geez. And if you're sitting there as an, an SDR manager and you don't have this, that should be your mission to like, listen to the calls. Like, what are your best reps doing? And make a script out of that. The amount of people that wing it, because it's not like it's, there's this attitude of like, you just need to figure it out because a lot of people in leadership positions now, and fortunately in tech, there's like younger people that are getting into these management positions. So they have this expectation that like, Hey, I'm not just going to like make my team fend for themselves, but there's still in a lot of companies, it's like, you just need to figure it out. And if it's like, you know, if you can't, like, we're going to find someone else that will versus like, dude, like, give them something. Come on. Yeah. Like, they should have something that works to use and then be able to adapt and make their own. And that should be, if you are a new BDR manager, what you should really be focusing on is onboarding. So as you grow your team, if that, look at what that onboarding program looks like. Also, put time on your new hires calendar and leave all the guesswork out. So my new hire comes in day one. All their calendar blocks are already there. They're not having to guess what's happening. It's from nine to 10. You are doing this exercise. If they click into the calendar invite, the exercise is linked there. There's as little guesswork as possible. So focus on onboarding. Focus on scripts. So making sure your team has scripts. And maybe you're doing some A-B testing. Focus on cadences also and make sure that your cadences aren't five paragraphs long because no one will read that. And make sure your team knows that they're supported by you so that you're their biggest cheerleader. And I know that's not a piece of content, but that's something you should really be focusing on. I think it's easy to lose sight of what you should be doing every day. Sometimes I also do prospecting myself because there's accounts that BDRs don't own. And I want to make sure that those people are getting invited to events and they're being engaged with, and then I'll hand them off to the BDRs after I've run them through like an event cadence or something. Yeah. Let's talk about point system before we run out of time, because then it's something else you're fired up about. So what's this point system thing? It depends. Caveat is it depends on where your company is at. So if you're a company that's like 3000 people and you have enough top of funnel, great right? But if you need top of funnel, a point system is one of the most effective ways to bring the right people into meetings. And so at Domino, we use a point system where each level of, I don't know the right words, but a director is worth four points. A VP is seniority level. Yeah. Seniority level, seniority level points. And my team knows if they get 25 meetings with a director they will hit their quota because their quota is 100 points. So the math is very easy. And this allows our AEs to be happy because they're getting the right people. And it's only in that first meeting. It's whoever you get into that first meeting. So it wouldn't be, hey, we have a discovery call. And then that demo, it's just that first meeting. But whoever you get into that first meeting, you get points for all those people. That's pretty cool. So essentially what you're doing is you're engineering, like, are they bonused and like commissioned based on the point system too. Yeah. So you're basically creating a whole incentivize incentivization. I don't know if that's a word (laughs) incentive incentive. Uh, You're creating an incentive structure around like getting really good quality people into meetings. It makes a lot of sense. It's like, I'm going to have to book less of them to hit my quota. I'm going to make more money 
my AE is going to be happier because they're going to actually, they're not going to be doing a sales call with like someone that like cannot move the needle at all for them. So there's no resentment created. That's pretty cool. I don't know why larger companies wouldn't do that either. It seems like a pretty simple, like you could set something up in Salesforce pretty easily, you know, with like job yeah. title and like point system kind of stuff. On the back end, it's a little complicated with Anna. I don't know whatever we have set up. So we have to look in Anna plan on points and then we have to look in Salesforce on seniority. But regardless, this is the, you have to incentivize your BDRs. And this is for higher up leadership. You're never overpaying BDRs. And I, I hate that argument. Oh, what if we overpay our BDRs? That will never happen. But if you incentivize the right behaviors, people will do the right work. The problem is, is that people aren't incentivized on the right behaviors. And so that's why we have a point system because it's, hey, the goal, our sales cycle is really long. We want to bring the most powerful people into the meeting as possible, as early on as possible. So let's incentivize the BDRs to fill that top of funnel to get those people in that first meeting. It's as simple as that. I know it seems more complicated, but the point system is so effective. And at the end of the day, it's incentivizing the right behavior. And one thing that I have a real problem with is when you are incentivizing BDRs and close business, it is out of their control. And make sure, even if you go incentivize BDRs on a stage two, it depends on also how long your sales cycle is, how far along your company is, what are the goals of the BDRs, right? But make sure you're incentivizing them on the right behaviors. And for an early stage company, points makes the most sense by far. Yeah. I'm not an expert in like comp plans and stuff like that, but I've been a part of a lot of companies and had had like a lot of different comp plans presented and like that sort of thing. And I get that like throwing a bonus to someone that's setting the appointment, if the deal closes, that's a nice, cool little bonus. But when the only way that they're compensated is on the job being closed, what I've seen that's like so dangerous is like these AEs get in this mindset and nothing, it's nothing against the AEs. It's just- you can totally get in this mindset where it's like, oh, cool. This person's not ready to buy something right now. Like that's a bad lead. And I'm like, well, dude, what about like fucking selling to them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what happened to being a salesperson and actually selling and getting them to see something that they didn't realize and like getting them started in the sales process versus just picking off all the low hanging fruit. So I completely agree with that. And I think that's why obviously it varies company to company. So there are caveats with this. But if it is like at our company, we used to be on stage one, I think, and it's out of your control. Like that's why I always loved being a BDR is because everything was in my control. I could control how much work I put in and really the opportunities I created, the people I reached out to. And if you put it so it has to get down to a certain stage or something else that I've seen is if a BDR doesn't get a certain number of opportunities and they don't get paid out at all. I think that's absolute bullshit. Excuse my language, but that is because they've created business for your company. And what if that BDR, those eight opportunities, maybe they didn't hit their quota or whatever the baseline was and it was 10, but those, all those eight meetings, which is highly unrealistic, but let's say all those eight meetings led to closed business, your other BDR, yeah, they hit their quota. Maybe they got 20 opportunities, but how many of those actually went through? So I think it's really important to comp BDRs. We're never going to be a profession that's overpaid. So it's pay them and incentivize them on what behavior you want them to do. Yeah. 
No, I love it. Is there anything uh, before we take off? Is there anything that like looking back, you would give yourself advice knowing what you know now, like to you being a first time, you know, team lead manager, that kind of thing? So I think for the BDR, my biggest advice is be your own cheerleader. A thousand percent. Yeah. Reach out to top performers always. That's one of the reasons why I moved up so quick. I reached out to someone who owned Walmart and I saw that he went to our president's club and I talked to him and told him that I was doing video. I would say as a, I haven't been in the role long enough (laughs) to tell everyone what to do, but I would say focus on onboarding, focus on letting your team know that you're going to be their biggest cheerleader and actually deliver on it. So don't just say, hey, this is a safe space. Hey, I want you all to succeed. Actually spend the time. So if someone's behind, put time on their calendar every day. And I know it's really time intensive, but if you want your team to succeed and you believe in them, put in the work. And the reality is if you are in meeting other meetings all day, there's probably a lot of useless meetings that you're on. So I know that's like a higher leadership thing of being like, hey, we shouldn't put you on all these meetings. And I encourage my team to hop off meetings that aren't valuable to them. And I will back them up all day long. So I think it's really being a big cheerleader of your team and making sure that they know you're accessible. I know not everyone wants to give out their cell phone number, but for me, I say, you know what, if a BDR has something that's really urgent and I'm not on Slack, which is highly unlikely, they can text me. And I just want to let them know that I'm there for them. And I think that's so important on like a deeper level, letting your team know that you're there for them. Love it. Where can people go to connect with you, learn more about what you guys are doing, all that good stuff? LinkedIn. And it'll be linked in the show notes. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say last name, so you had trouble pronouncing that guy's last name. Your last name, Citrin Thaler? Yes. <laughs> okay, so I pronounced that. We'll link to that in the show notes, you guys, yeah, so you can all, Kayla. <laughs> uh, But she posts content on there, too, that's pretty good. So definitely make sure to check that out. Kayla, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been great. That was a fun one. Uh, my favorite part about this episode was, and something that's really pushing me to think about this a little bit differently, is how do we make ourselves more accessible? So yeah, reps, they need to help themselves and we need to push them, but sometimes we need to kind of force our hand a little bit. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a bad way, but force our hand in terms of, if they're not going to sign up for a session with us, we need to carve out that time on a weekly basis to to make sure we get one-on-one interactions with the people that we're managing. We can't blame it on them if they don't schedule it. So going out of our way to make those opportunities happen, those learning opportunities. And then if someone's not performing, then you need to do what you need to do at that point, right? But kind of forcing your hand a little bit and creating those opportunities for people to interact with and get help from you. That's my uh, biggest takeaway from this. This is a super fun episode with Kayla. If you like this episode, I would appreciate you subscribing to the podcast, leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and really help us get more episodes like this so I can help more people like you. So appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.